Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The call comes in. The alarm is raised. Suits are donned. Proton packs are... Packed. And the Ghostbusters make their way to a large house away from it all in Connecticut. Upon arriving, the team prepares themselves for anything. But even they are surprised to see a pale man in a Robin Thicke striped suit standing on a balcony overlooking the foyer. <laughs> Got guess to see. <laughs> if I had a nickel. The pale man trails off as he pulls a hanky out of seemingly thin air and loudly blows his nose dropping multitudes of nickels on the floor. Ah, there they are. Ray Stance of the Ghostbusters steps forward. We're here under the authority of the United States to remove you from this house. Beetlejuice suddenly stops moving and rigidly stares down his foes. Willin', I guess we're gonna have to see who wants to leave first. It's the ghost with the most versus Columbia's shunned. It's Bio Exorcist versus Spectral Containment. It's Beetlejuice versus the Ghostbusters. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comic, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Cassie. As always, I'm joined by the one and only Ray Stacanus. It's our second match of Shocktober, and today's matchup is one of the strangest and possibly greatest battles we've ever had. In one corner, you have the Ghostbusters, a team of very eccentric ghost hunters versus Beetlejuice, a powerful and malevolent ghost known for his chaotic antics. I guess that's the best way to describe him. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test just to see how many times this matchup has been discussed, and this matchup has been discussed so often that it could have taken place during Showdown September. That's what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Ray, what are your thoughts on today's battle? You know, sometimes we get these Showdown September matchups, but because of the characters involved, we got to move it over to Shocktober. A lot of people say Showdown September is their favorite time of the entire year. I'm not one of those people. I'm someone who waits every year for Shocktober to roll around because I love horror-themed characters. I love horror-themed video games and movies and TV shows. I love the entire genre. So I am very excited to do two of the best comedic horror movies from the 80s, Beetlejuice and Ghostbusters, two of my absolute favorite movies. Spoiler alert, I one of these movies was my favorite movie of all time for a long time. The other one scared me so badly, I refused to see it until I was well into adulthood. I'll let you guess which one is which, but I bet you can. My point I'm trying to make through all of this 
is that I have never been more ready for a battle. Ray, I, I know you're excited for Shocktober, but is the reason why you've never been more ready for a battle because, you know, I'm kind of on this insane winning streak. For those who don't know, I got the magical and finally got this. The four wins in a row versus Ray Sicanus. I've been chasing this for years. I finally got it. Ray, I know, I know this does not sit well with you. But before we talk about, you know, your reaction to all of this, I got to tell you, this has been the best week ever. The celebrations of my four wins in a row. I've been having great meetings, meeting Hollywood celebrities, getting huge envelopes of cash from our sponsors. This is what I'm talking about. This is how winners are treated. Ray, what happened to you? Tell Legion Minds, what happened to you when you actually got those first, that first time four wins in a row? I don't know how you're getting big envelopes of cash from our sponsors when I'm always the one who does all the work recording the ads. You just show up to give a little tagline at the end and we call it good or uh, 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 acceptable. And, and and you're the one getting the cash. Where's my big envelope of cash? Uh, yeah, you may want to talk to your agent about that uh, or get your people, you know, your representation. I'll handle this. Listen, the really weird thing is, Ray, could I get five wins in a row? Could I do the impossible? Can I obtain that winning, I don't know, you know, thing, that five wins in a row that has never been done before? Is that what's going to happen in today's episode, Ray? I don't know. How do you feel about your chances of going down five times in a row? It's pure lunacy that we're even in this in the first place. The idea of you winning a single match is already preposterous to me. The idea of you winning two matches in a row, bizarre. Third, unlikely. Fourth, nigh impossible. So the even concept that we're sitting here today, I'm so glad I have the better character Ah, I love the Ghostbusters too much. I think I have the winning character today with multiple avenues to victory. All we need is a judge who is ready to listen. Finally, for the first time in a month, I'd love it if we had a judge who understands who these characters are and is willing to listen to reason. All I'm hearing you say is that there's a good chance I'm getting five wins in a row and I'm going to go with that. Look, I'm you're surprised right. you've had five wins all season the way you've been arguing. It's fair. That's a fair statement. Look, luckily, we have a fantastic judge who can oversee what could be a momentous occasion happening on the Who Would Win show, making another appearance on the Who Would Win show itself. The preeminent Beetlejuice of our time, at least on Cameo, that is, its author, one of the greatest illustrators and artists ever. You know who I'm talking about. It's Jordan Monzel. Jordan, welcome back to Who Would Win. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. It, this is going to be very difficult for me to choose because these are two of my favorite movies of all time, literally. Well, you know, that that's what we were talking about, you know, before the show. You you love both movies. You love the Ghostbusters. You love Beetlejuice. But the really cool thing is I didn't notice any favoritism towards one or the other, which really makes you the ideal judge for this. Now, before we get into all that kind of good stuff, Tell the Legion of Audience what you've been up to. Uh, this is my busiest time of year, going from October, Halloween, all the way through Christmas. So I'm going to be traveling a lot this month. I'm doing uh, the Oddities and Curiosities Expo up in Portland on the 14th and 15th of this month. And then I'll be, uh, I'm sorry, in Seattle and then Portland the weekend after that on the 21st and 22nd. And then in San Francisco on the 28th and 29th. So Busy doing, busy traveling, doing art shows, and and just working on commissions, and and then doing Beetlejuice cameo uh, messages for people. So, staying busy. 
I love it. Yeah, I know you're super busy with everything you're doing, um, and you're especially busy with your great artwork that is currently for offer on your Etsy store. What's some of the coolest stuff our fans would find on it if they went and yeah, checked it so out? Yeah, so it's uh, Silhouettes by Jordan on Etsy, and um, I've got some Beetlejuice uh, silhouettes on there and some Ghostbusters, but then I also do these really big decorative wall art posters that are about 18 by 24 in size, and those all, ha- all have different themes. So there's one that's all ghosts that includes Beetlejuice and you know Slimer from Ghostbusters and Casper and some uh, Haunted Mansion ghosts in there. So yeah, check it out. Um, there's one that's all witches and one that's all vampires, and yeah, it's fun to do. I love it. Okay, again, this could be a huge match. Something could happen today. Five wins in a row, never been done before ever on the Who Would Win show. No pressure whatsoever, but I trust in you. You're going to judge us down the middle and make the right calls. So with all that being said, let's get to the battle. Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing Offbeat Cinema, the ghost who was obviously going to be a hit. He is a super giant star, after all. Beetlejuice. And representing Offbeat Cinema, the scientist with more busts than the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Ghostbusters. Well done, Ray. Now, before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a Who Would Win match. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality in the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Okay, Ray, I've been wondering all week about this. What is the version? What 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 iteration of Beetlejuice will you be using today? If we're going to do Shocktober, we've got to do Shocktober correctly. We keep talking about the movies, the movie version, X, Y, and Z. I'm going to be handling the movie version of Beetlejuice only. That is the specific version. I could have leaned towards the cartoon version, don't want to. I don't think this matchup calls for it. I trust you're going to do the same and only use the movie version of Ghostbusters. Absolutely correct. I will only be using Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters from the amazing animated series. I'm kidding, of course. I will be using the movie version of the Ghostbusters. I will be staying away from the 2016 Ghostbusters movie because I don't believe that's in the same dimension, universe. I don't know how to explain it, but I don't think that's in the same alignment now, with the other three movies. That's a really weird thing to me. I might need an explanation here because I've seen the 2016 reboot. So can men be Ghostbusters too? <laughs> they can. And evidently, Leslie Jones, who should be a scientist and a genius because that's what she is in real life, a genius at least, wasn't one in that movie. There's a lot of weird questions that are coming from that movie. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right, rule number four. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are long established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but will be given less weight. Rule number five, the winner of the debate is whoever the judge decides is the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal, and where no attack or threat can be made for at least two minutes, and where no outside interference is allowed. And finally, rule number six, the judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Who Would Win store. Visit www.whowouldwinstore.com to get your hands on some great Who Would Win shirts and merch. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes, you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. 
Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force, and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Abandoned carts, rejected payments, spotty support. If you're selling online and something just isn't working, you deserve an upgrade. It's time for Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or you're IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS system or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers into buyers. One of the things I love about Shopify is that there's no limit to how big you could potentially grow, right? No matter how big you think you can get, you can always get bigger because Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business and then take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com www. Go to shopify.com www to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash WWW. And now let's get to the tale of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is the ghostly central character of the movie Beetlejuice. He was created by Michael McDowell, played by Michael Keaton, and first appeared in the movie Beetlejuice in 1988. Beetlejuice tells the story of a recently deceased couple who are horrified to learn that an obnoxious family has moved into their house following their demise. This leads the couple to bring in Beetlejuice for help. Beetlejuice is a self-proclaimed bio-exorcist who will remove the new family, but he himself becomes a much bigger headache for everyone involved by trying to turn the entire affair into one of his schemes to come back to the real world for good. Fun fact, Michael Keaton is bonkers fun as the green-haired striped suit wearing Beetlejuice. But even though he is perfectly cast, did you know that director Tim Burton wanted a different actor for the part first? Yes, the original idea Burton had to play Beetlejuice was none other than Jordan Monsell. Yeah, Sammy Davis Jr. 
That is correct. Sammy Davis Jr. That is wild. The Rat Pack member at the time was 63 years old. And I don't know. He probably would have been decent, I guess. But producer David Geffen stepped in, thankfully, and suggested Michael Keaton for the role. And the rest is absolute history. That is Beetlejuice. Well, let's see, 63 years old in the late 80s. I mean, that those are some rough miles, right? That's not like 63 today. No, no, That's, no, uh, no. Sammy Davis Jr. did some living. Yeah, I mean, good for him, right? Good for him. All right, well done right now. Here are the details for the Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters first appeared on the big screen on June 8th, 1984. The actual creation of the Ghostbusters can be credited to Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, who co-wrote the screenplay alongside... Ivan Reitman, who tweaked the original concept to suit a more comedic tone. Dan Aykroyd, inspired by his own family's interest in spiritualism, surprise, surprise, initially conceived the idea as a vehicle for himself and John Belushi, though the project evolved significantly following Belushi's untimely death. The story follows the eccentric yet skilled group, Dr. Peter Venkman, Dr. Raymond Stance, and Dr. Egon Spengler, as they establish a ghost-catching business in New York City. Over time, their endeavors become highly successful, leading them to face off against an array of supernatural threats. The film, with its blend of horror, comedy, and science fiction, became a cultural phenomenon bolstered by a memorable cast, a catchy theme song, and innovative special effects for its time. And here's an interesting fact about the Ghostbusters. Did you know that the Ghostbusters' original film was not supposed to take place in modern-day New York? It's true. While the original Ghostbusters can at times feel a little outlandish, you know, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Men being one of the most bizarre but brilliant things in the entire film, at least in my opinion, an early concept of the film was far more out there than you might have realized. In the DVD commentary, it is revealed by Ivan Reitman and Harold Ramis that the story was originally set in a futuristic New York City where teams of readily established Ghostbusters would be found all over the world as well as several huge supernatural entities. However, the original budget for this type of film was insanely cost prohibitive. So after a couple of rewrites, the production decided to take place in, I don't know, 1984 New York, and all is well. And now I have the facts on both opponents. Jordan, do you have any questions before we get started? No, yeah, I was just going to add that in the original script, the Ecto-1 was going to be able to fly and go go time travel and do all these uh, incredible things. And they really brought it down to earth and made them more like these blue-collar exterminators in present-day New York. So I think that worked a lot better for the film. No, I, just, I don't have any questions. I just know this is going to be really, really difficult for me to choose one over the other because I, I had a Ghostbusters, I started a Ghostbusters club when I was in third grade and my four friends, we would go down into the ba- basements of uh, houses. And this was in Connecticut, by the way. Uh, looking for ghosts. And then, of course, when Beetlejuice came along, and you know, I started cosplaying that character in college. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I love them both. So go at it and uh, g- g- just give me your best shot and uh, I'll just have to make a decision. Oh, oh, man. Okay. This is kind of like you having to pick your favorite kid. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it. it's, it's Sophie's Choice. The, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> Who Would Win, win edition. Way, way to bring this seriousness to that. All right, Ray, go ahead and hit us for your point number one. Yeah, I would say it's a lot like Sophie's Choice, but somehow more depressing for you. Point number one for Beetlejuice. Let's just talk about the basics of who he is and what he does. First off, he is a ghost. He is a ghost. He is a spectral entity that would make him an obvious enemy of the Ghostbusters. But he also cannot be seen unless somebody is highly, highly spiritual attuned when he is in the real world. Lydia Winona Ryder from Beetlejuice is a, for lack of a better term, a spooky goth chick, and she can see him based on that background. I'm not convinced that the four normal men, the four exterminators, as you said, 
necessarily have that spectral attunement. Attunement? That's probably not the word. Who cares? They won't be able to see him if he doesn't necessarily want to be seen. And invisibility could be a huge factor in this battle. But let's go over the, the basics of who Beetlejuice is. He went to Juilliard, according to him. He went to Harvard Business School, according to him. He went. He lived through the Black Plague, according to him. And he's also seen The Exorcist 167 times. And it just gets funnier every time he sees it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? Thank you. <laughs> this man has seen it all. He's been to the afterlife. He's seen horrible mutations, monsters, after effects of horrific accidents, and nothing phases this guy. This guy has a certain lackadaisical attitude about him, but it gets real serious when it's time to get real serious when it comes to what they have seen. It's not that the Ghostbusters have seen nothing. Obviously, they have also seen some stuff, but I would argue when it comes to real world atrocity, no one's seen more than Beetlejuice at all. And the Ghostbusters seemingly don't, aren't even aware of some of the collateral damage that they cause in their own movies. Beetlejuice is aware, and he thinks it's funny. Big deal. Now, he can only really be defeated at the end of the day by saying his name three times. This is a random encounter with no prior knowledge of the event happening. They're coming in cold into this house. They don't know his name is Beetlejuice. He's definitely not going to tell them his name is Beetlejuice because he can't say it out loud himself. How are they possibly going to figure out that they have to say his name three times if they don't even know his name and there's 0% chance of him saying it? Let's talk about some of the other ways that he can win, though, and other damage he can do because he can morph his body as he needs to. Remember when he got picked up by a larger human when he was very, very small? He was able to protrude and create spikes all around his entire body to, to poke the person and get them to drop him, right? So what's stopping him if he's a normal-sized human in this world, as we assume that he is, from using that type of body horror element to absolutely stab through one or multiples of the Ghostbusters? He's basically one step removed from being a body horror anime guy <laughs> when he wants to be. And if his life is at stake, he very well might want to be. Additionally, he's tricky. He can mimic people. He can throw his voice. He can make it sound like somebody over there is saying something over there. He can absolutely mess with the Ghostbusters' heads in a way I don't know that they've specifically dealt with before. They've dealt with malevolent spirits, but not one that would mimic each other's voices saying, come in here, I need you, to an upper floor of the house, only to have Peter Venkman go up there and get slimed, but considerably worse. He also, well, he also tanked getting eaten by a sandworm. That should not go without notice. A sandworm is a giant monster that seemingly devoured him through the roof and floor. And he was perfectly fine in the next scene, which means he could take hellacious amounts of damage and be immediately fine afterwards. And the last thing, he can kind of manipulate and function the world around him in a way that I don't think the Ghostbusters are ready for. We all remember the scene when he basically like moved a finger and all of Otho's clothing just ripped off of his body except for his underwear the ghostbusters rely on their proton packs and their energizers more than i've ever seen before what stops him from removing those off of their bodies the same way that he did otho's clothing if they don't have their primary weapon they are useless against a character like beetlejuice and i think he can do it and that's my point number one. Look, who doesn't love Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice is a national, no, international 
treasure, if you will. But I got to push back on a few of your points. Now, first of all, when you say, okay, the Ghostbusters, are they spiritually attuned? Here's the deal. I don't think Peter Venkman is, he's a definite maybe at best. Winston, I don't think so. But Egon and Ray Stance, absolutely. These two are absolutely spiritually attuned. They're going to be seeing uh, Beetlejuice. But Beetlejuice will also make himself very much, uh, uh, you know, visibly available for all of them to see. On top of real world atrocities, I get it. But here's the thing. Beetlejuice can be defeated. He was defeated by that sandworm. I'll go into that detail, more detail with that later. But he was defeated by that sandworm. Remember, he was put into that room of some sort. I guess that was a, kind of like a limbo. Uh, I was associated with Saturn or what have you. And he couldn't do anything. He had to stay there. So he was literally defeated by that. The Ghostbusters, you're talking about the spikes that Beetlejuice can use. They like to fight at mid to long range. These are not close-up fighters because they know it doesn't behoove them to do that. And in terms of mind control, what have you, remember Ghostbusters too. They had a villain called Vigo the Carpathian. One of his main powers was mind control, and they were able to kind of overcome that with ease. Now, let me get to my point number one. And let's just talk for my point number one about the original four Ghostbusters from the 1984 film. Look, you put these four people together, and they can accomplish very, very, very big things. You know, destroying demigods, saving the world. All of that is what they can do. So the first person we'll talk about is Peter Venkman, now played by Bill Murray. Now, Peter Venkman, that's that quick-thinking and witty leader of the Ghostbusters, kind of, I guess. He's got that natural gift of improvisation. He's an expert in the use of the proton packs as well. He knows how to use the other Ghostbusting equipment. He's a parapsychologist. He's got that particular interest in debunking paranormal phenomena. And he's also a skilled psychologist, but he's also a great manipulator. Now, Peter's going to be essential in this battle because he's pretty much going to understand Beetlejuice's how can you call this debased nature? You know, Beetlejuice is a womanizer. He's someone who, you know, remember, he's trying to marry an underage girl at the end of the day. And Peter's going to be like, God, this guy's a creep. Da, da, da. I'm kind of creepy. I, I think I can understand. He's going to be able to manipulate him really well. Of course, there's Egon Spengler, one of the greatest of the Ghostbusters. He's a brilliant scientist. He's an engineer, has a deep understanding of paranormal phenomena. He's also the inventor of many of the Ghostbusters' most advanced equipment, including that proton pack and the ghost trap. He's a world-renowned expert in parapsychology, quantum physics, and the occult. He's also a skilled linguist and code breaker. The code breaking is important because Beetlejuice has a code. It's insane. It's kind of like the Joker a little bit. It's funny how someone played Batman. It's now kind of like the Joker as well. But there is a definite code, a way that Beetlejuice works. And Egon, even though he's very logical, is going to figure out how to break that code and understand him. This is going to be a big factor in the fight. Of course, there's Ray Stance. Now, Ray Stance, he's a very passionate, enthusiastic parapsychologist. He's got that strong belief in the paranormal. Uh, he's also a skilled pilot mechanic. He's an expert in the history of the paranormal and the occult. He's also a skilled researcher. His knowledge of the paranormal and its history allows him to think outside of the box. Ray's knowledge of the paranormal and its history, you know, his knowledge of the paranormal history, this is what allows him to think outside of the box. You know, he comes up with what are called crazy plans or crazy plans that are just so crazy, they're crazy enough to actually work. If anyone can understand Beetlejuice's not way of thinking, but motivation, what makes him do something, it's going to be Ray's stance. And Ray and Egon are going to be a huge part of this. But my favorite Ghostbuster of all, the one who's the secret weapon, that's Winston Zedmore. Now, Winston Zedmore, the, the greatest of all, he's an expert in the use of the proton packs. He's great at using all the Ghostbusting equipment. And the reason why I think he's so good at this, because remember, he's not the one with the original three. He actually was a former Marine. He actually says that in the original Ghostbusters film, which is why he probably shows such a high level proficiency in everything they do. He's got that military training. He's got the mindset. He's got this powerful way of just kind of keeping the team together. He's the humanity behind the team, which is a huge part of this. Now, each of the Ghostbusters on their own are pretty capable, but when you put them together, when you allow for the synergy between them, when one plus one plus one 
equals 16. I had to explain how synergy works and the math behind it for Ray to understand. You get a team who can not only take out ghost spirits and demigods. You get a team that can save the world. That's my point number one. All right. Uh, you, you got a team. You definitely have a team. Uh, I agree. I think that the Ghostbusters are definitely greater than the sum of their parts. Because if you look at their parts from the outside, these parts are a little chaotic. These parts are a little not very great. Remember, they got kicked out of Columbia for just lying. Peter Venkman is a serial con artist. He's not a serious human being in any possible way. And you talk about being attuned to spirits. I could make the argument that Ray Stance might be attuned enough to see Beetlejuice when he doesn't want to be seen. Egon is a scientist, though. He is, he is about the science side, not the ghost side, per se, not the spectral side. So I would say that's a hard no as far as Egon, who collects spores, molds, and fungus, being attuned enough to see the spirits. And the other thing to keep in mind right here is that Beetlejuice is, of course, uh, an ethereal entity. Beetlejuice can, you know, shapeshift. Beetlejuice can disappear, reappear, uh, conjure things, teleport. We'll get into all this good stuff. The Ghostbusters are human beings. They are tied to human bodies, and these are not uh, superhero-style bodies. These are bodies. Remember, when Peter Venkman got slimed in the hallway, all it took was a giant marshmallow ghost to hit him with a little ectoplasm, and he was down and basically not moving. Again, when, it's, when it comes time for defeating some of these uh, more serious characters, the comical Ghostbusters, I think, have an edge. When it comes time to deal with somebody who is as funny, if not funnier, than they are, I think that's where they're actually going to have some real trouble. You're saying the humor that Beetlejuice brings to this battle may be too much for the Ghostbusters to handle. That's interesting. I might make that argument because Ghostbusters, you know, you look at Gozer the Gozerian, you look at Vigo the Carpathian. These are like overly serious characters that they're able to use whimsy and defeat. I don't know if whimsy is going to be what it takes against Beetlejuice from them. Very interesting point. All right. I like where we're at so far, but let's see what a judge has to say. So Jordan, you've heard one point from both Ray and myself. Where's your head at so far with this battle? Uh, you've both made valid points. I don't know if, if, if one of you is, is, has an edge over the other. I just, I don't know. I think uh, Ray would have the spectral goggles that he had when uh, they went to go capture Slimer. And, you know, why, why wouldn't he have extra goggles in, in the Ecto-1 so that they could all see Beetlejuice, right? That's, that's, that's one question I have. Another question is, uh, who, who called them in the first place? It, did did the, the Dietzes call them? And if so, when they show up, they're like, oh, by the way, his name is Beetlejuice. So even if they don't know about saying his name three times, I would, I would think that in the course of a battle, they might just accidentally say his name three times. And Let me poof, tell you, Jordan, right now, rules of a who would win battle say no prior knowledge ahead of time, which means even if somebody called them, they would have no knowledge of him. They would have no the knowledge. Door. Okay. What about the Tobin Spirit Guide? Is that going to be? Uh, is that going to be brought up? Would Would Beetlejuice be listed in the Tobin Spirit Guide? So here, here's the deal. I I think he would not be, and the reason why is because again we're taking two separate universes. Two separate universes. Yeah. yeah. There's no connective tissue between these universes, as far as we can tell. Trust me. If If there was even a slight uh, something there, I would have brought that up. Okay. Okay. All right, so we are kind of at a tie because we're feeling each other out. This is normally where we're at with point number one, but that's all good because this battle is about to get started. At least I have a good feeling it is. Ray, hit us with your point number two. Point number two, I want to talk about some of the ghostly ethereal powers that Beetlejuice has on sort of a very baseline level. Because one thing I noticed in the Ghostbusters 
is they're dealing with these, again, ethereal spirits, but they tend to get attacked very straightforwardly. There tends to be a monster and it attacks them physically, right? That generally speaking, Vigo aside, he's kind of his own guy. Vigo charged up most of his power to put into the Statue of Liberty. And if I remember correctly, did get a little weakened as a result of all of that uh, overuse of his power. But I'll let James make that argument. The point I'm saying here is they're not attacked with uh, guile very often. And that's all Beetlejuice does. Beetlejuice creates these fantastical situations, which are meant to confuse and confound the people he's opposing. And then he disposes of them through that, right? So among the other things he can do with some uh, uh, telekinesis or you know telepathy-esque stuff, he floated Lydia over to his side when it was time to get married. He took an actual human being in the actual world and just through using mind powers, flew them around. What's again stopping him from flinging the Ghostbusters all around, turning them around, uh, uh, hanging them upside down from their legs and boots? What's to stop him? Again, he could also conjure things from midair whenever he wants to. It's very Toon Forcey. It's very Bugs Bunny-esque. He created a Zagnut bar in order to lure a flyover so he could eat it. Thank you. He also conjured snakes when he was digging through his pockets and just handed them to his ghost friends uh, just as a joke, right? So he could just create things out of thin air as he decides he needs them in the moment. The Ghostbusters are very limited to their very specific equipment that doesn't always work right the first time, especially if they've been jostled around a little bit, which definitely will happen here. So Beetlejuice has this major advantage of whatever he needs, he can just conjure out of thin air and use. Not to mention, let's for not forget, they asked Beetlejuice, can you be scary? And he said, how about this? And created this, you don't even get to see it as an audience, but it's like a spider, hor horrifying monster face, and two dead ghosts were terrified by it. Ghosts that couldn't actually be harmed. They were dead already. And they screamed and yelped with horror. So he can make things that are so scary. Do I remember the opening scene of Ghostbusters when all they needed was a library ghost to just make a little face at him and they ran from that library? They were horrified. They were terrified. They ran for their lives over a very simple, what, class one apparition? Please, please. That's enough. Beetlejuice can create something scarier than that when he's not even trying. He also is able to alter the TV in the Maitland's house in order to put a commercial for himself as a terrorist of human life on the screen so they could see it, so they would know to call him later. So again, we're going to get into reality warping in point three, but I just want to set the table for that. Whatever he sort of wants to happen is something that happened. Let's not forget, he stopped an exorcism that was already in progress. So if the Ghostbusters think that they're about to get over, what's to stop him from stopping this quote-unquote exorcism as well? And lest we forget the fact that coaxing people into mind control to do musical numbers is absolutely a thing in the Beetlejuice movies. I know, I know the Maitlands were the ones to actually make the musical numbers happen, but come on, who taught them to do it, right? Who actually would know how to do that? If the Maitlands can do it, who are brand new ghosts, let's assume like smart people would, that Beetlejuice can do it as well. So Beetlejuice absolutely could have done the Deo bit, and now we can make the Ghostbusters dance and sing for two minutes, which equals incapacitation because they're not in control of their bodies. For more than two minutes, that's a win on the Who Would Win show.
You know, I do like that last point you brought up, Ray, but here's the thing. The Ghostbusters aren't like those other people who are being manipulated and controlled by Beetlejuice. These are people who are very, very knowledgeable, not of Beetlejuice, but of the spirit world of ghosts, telekinesis, their powers, what have you, and also extremely experienced. They have backups. They have ways to deal with that, how to avoid, if they do fall under control, how to break out of control. And remember, there's four of them, each with their own minds who can all work together. That's not going to work at all, anyway near as well as it did in that movie. Now, in terms of what Beetlejuice does, remember, he likes to toy with people because he's got that kind of, I hate to say a cool mindset. He's like, look, what can we do with people? Let's put them in weird situations. Let's scare them, what have you. He's not the cold-blooded, I'm killing you right now type of person. Even though he has the power to do it, we didn't witness him do that at all. On top of that, the ghosts, when they were scared by Beetlejuice, kind of saying, I can do scary, here you go. And remember, these ghosts are new ghosts. They're not even used to being ghosts. They've never actually seen a whole lot of ghosts before, obviously. The Ghostbusters have a lot more experience with this. They're not going to be scared. They, they've seen all that kind of stuff. The thing that you mentioned, the library of the librarians scaring them and they ran out, that was before they even became really Ghostbusters. They've had a lot of experience in them. Now, let me get to my point number two. And for my point number two, you knew I was going to go there. Let's talk about the Ghostbusters weapons and tech. First of all, you got the proton pack. Now, this is a Ghostbusters signature weapon. It fires a stream of high-energy protons that can weaken and eventually trap ghosts. And the Ghostbusters have used the proton packs to capture a wide variety of ghosts, from Slimer to the mobster turned spirit, Scolari Brothers, amongst others. I just love this thing. They've got the Ghost Trap. Now, the Ghost Trap is a device that is used to, surprise, surprise, trap ghosts. It's activated by a stream of protons from a proton pack. Then you hit the foot pedal, then it opens up. Once a ghost is trapped in it, it can be safely transported to their headquarters. And the ghosters have used ghost traps to capture hundreds of ghosts over the years. They also have that PKE meter or psychokinetic energy meter. That's a device that's used to detect the presence of ghosts. And of course, it emits a beeping noise. You know, the louder and closer a ghost gets. And the most power, more powerful it is, the more strength it is, the more it kind of, you know, helps them determine what they're facing. What they're coming, what's coming up to them. They're not going to be caught completely by surprise by Beetlejuice thanks to the PKE meter. They've got the ecto goggles, as Jordan mentioned. Now, these are special glasses or goggles that allow the Ghostbusters to see ghosts. They also protect the Ghostbusters' eyes from the harmful effects of proton streams. And the Ghostbusters have used their ecto goggles to see ghosts in a variety of situations, such as when they're boasting, busting ghosts in the dark places or when they're tracking down ghosts that are invisible to the naked eye. Good luck trying to hide from this Beetlejuice because they're going to be able to see you using the ecto goggles. And they've got the particle thrower. It's a powerful weapon that fires a stream of high-energy particles. Look, I think it's just the proton pack when they kind of cross the streams. That's where they call the particle. Whatever it is, it's just a more powerful version of their uh, proton packs. On top of that, they've got their vehicle, the Ecto-1, because that's how they get there in the first place. The Ecto-1 is a Ghostbusters iconic ambulance. It's equipped with every variety of Ghostbusters equipment you can think of that they have. Proton accelerators, ghost trap launchers. You know, so it actually launches out a PKA meter. Ghostbusters have used the Ecto-1 to travel to and from ghostbusting jobs and transport their equipment in every film we've seen. And when things get really, really tough and they need to improvise, they use their equipment to come up with much more powerful variations of what they got. Remember, when they cross the streams of their proton packs, something they were never supposed to do as it could actually destroy everything or save the world. Yeah, they did that to beat Gozer the Gozerian. That was both a feat of you know improvisation and showing how powerful the weapons are. And that's the thing with their weapons. They're designed to take out supernatural beings, specifically ghosts, and as great as Beetlejuice is, in the end, he's a ghost with some abilities that actually, in my opinion, pale in comparison to the power and destructive capability of some of their opponents that Ghostbusters have beaten before. All of that is my point number two. Yeah, uh, much like uh, any Kevin Sorbo movie on DVD, I'm just not buying it. I want to say right now, the Ghostbusters have one fatal flaw in this battle. They love to talk. 
the Ghostbusters really like to get the jump on somebody and then have a conversation with them. Even when they had Vigo cornered, they had all their proton packs and it was all ready to go, they still wanted to engage in a conversation with him. And if you're not being full-fledged aggressive against Beetlejuice from the get-go, he is going to talk his way around you, he's going to confuse and confound you, and then he is going to defeat you. 100%. Even if they were to get him in a position where you think he's going to win, if Beetlejuice just tries to engage them in conversation, which he always tries to do, they will take the bait for that every time. And I do want to bring up uh, Vigo the Carpathian because there was a moment when they shot him with two of those uh, uh, proton packs, two of the beams, and they hit him with it. And it looked like he was in some pain. And he just turned around and kind of flung a little energy blast at them. What happened when he flung them? All four of them in their normal human bodies flew backwards and hit the deck. They were down. And in real movie time, near as I could tell that took place in real time, they were down for two minutes and 35 seconds of movie until they found themselves with the strength to get back up again. This goes back to the two minutes necessary for incapacitation on a who would win battle. If simply getting knocked to the floor put them down for more than two minutes, I have to believe any of Beetlejuice's uh, tricks and violence can keep them down for two minutes as well. I mean, these are some observations. I can't say they're good or correct, but they're definitely observations. All right, listen, we are at the turning point where after hearing two points for Rain myself, Jordan tells us who is ahead and what the other side has to do to win. But before we get to what Jordan has to say, let's celebrate the Who Would Win Patron of the Week. Every week we choose one of our amazing members of the Who Would Win Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? Today we have a patron, a new patron to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Show, called Smells Like Lobster. Smells like lobster. Welcome to the Patreon. It's your day. Look, smells like lobster. Welcome to the show. I'm going to have to match you up with the only person known throughout horror culture who actually loves anything and everything that smells like lobster. I'm, of course, talking about Michael Myers. Michael Myers. Smells like lobster, of course, as we all know, has Aquaman level abilities. There's a reason that he smells like lobster, and that is because he is of the sea. He has aquatic Neptune-like abilities, which means he can control currents and tides as well as all manner of sea creatures. So in a reverse Jason Voorhees type situation, you want to get Jason to the lake. That's where your best chance to defeat him is, right? Well, Michael Myers is not normally the same way, but this time smells like lobster is able to get Michael Myers to follow him all the way to Camp Crystal Lake. That's right. And he goes to the lake at Camp Crystal Lake. Michael Myers, confused, doesn't know what's going on, goes for the kill anyway. And that's when a giant Kraken monster comes up from Camp Crystal Lake, grabs Michael Myers, pulls him under, definitely incapacitates him for at least two minutes. That's a victory for Smells Like Lobster. You know, uh, technically, I'm not sure if I can go with this because I wasn't talking about Michael Myers the horror icon. I was talking about the other horror icon, Michael Myers, the Canadian comedian who is the star of uh, Wayne's World, what have you. Luckily for you, Ray Stacanus, he also has a secret weakness of lakes that contain large kraken monsters. So the wind stands. Well done, Smells Like Lobster. Remember, you too can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash show and sign up and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of Who Would Win. And now back to the turning point. Jordan, you've had a moment to ponder two points for both Ray and myself. 
Who do you think is ahead, and what does the other side have to do to pull out the victory? Uh, James, I think at this point, after round two, you are slightly ahead. You made really good, valid points about their teamwork and the, and the strengths that each Ghostbusters brings to the table and their equipment. And Ray, you did point out that Beetlejuice is very fast on his feet. He's like the Tasmanian devil. But, you know, there's, there's four Ghostbusters and there's, there's only one Beetlejuice. So in this final round, you're really going to have to, like, lay out in this debate, like, how is one ghost going to defeat four Ghostbusters? I mean, let me ask this question right now. How many Ghostbusters would it take to defeat Beetlejuice? If he takes out one of them, can the other three overcome? I don't know. I don't know that they can. So I, I might argue it takes all four of them. That's actually in my favor that if he removes one of them, they're toast. Hmm. Well, well, we'll, we'll see if I have anything in my point number three to, to talk to that. The pity you don't. I, I know. I just wish I did. That's a, that's a great point. All right. Listen, I may be slightly ahead, but even I'm not foolish enough to think that the victory is a solid thing. Because I've been here before, and Ray has still pulled out a great win. So with that being said, Ray, let's see if you got what it takes. Hit us with your point number three. Point number three, you know, I've been sandbagging a little bit like a sandworm would. I am going to talk about his reality warping. Because again, I've talked about this before. The Ghostbusters have fought a lot of different threats, and they tend to all kind of come at them in the same physical way. They don't really deal with people who are uh, really altering the reality around them a whole heck of a lot. And I would argue that Beetlejuice not only has Toon Force, but he has some of the highest level reality warping abilities as well. This is a guy who can change his clothing on a whim. He can suddenly be wearing something totally different. Other people around him, additionally, could suddenly be wearing something totally different, right? He's done it multiple times throughout the entire series. Again, the Ghostbusters need their gear and their equipment or they have no chance at all. If he can alter clothing, why can't he just alter the fact that they're now wearing tuxedos instead of their proton packs? It seems like an obvious first move, especially once they start shooting, that he can just turn around and change this to be something more in his favor. This is a guy who's been able to silence people with zippers and metal uh, plates that he just throws at their faces. And then, and again, Gina Davis's character got, got a metal plate stuck to her face and she couldn't speak anymore. What is stopping him once he starts getting into it with these guys from suddenly like doing body horror things to them to where they will not be able to move anymore or work anymore? Remember, he brought sculptures to life. He was able to create life around the entire room with those weird sculptures and restrain the people that he wanted to restrain with them. So again, what is stopping him from taking the environment, the, the banisters, the, the, the balconies, whatever it takes, wrapping it around Peter Venkman and then holding him upside down with his arms by his side. Near as I can tell, that would be an immediate thing that this character would do. And it's something that the Ghostbusters would easily fall for because they're used to getting attacked by the front, full frontal attacks physically. But that's not the way that he's going to work, is it? Let's not forget, he morphed and changed the house to create a wedding altar suddenly in it with a, with a zombie priest suddenly in it as well. He's creating life and people who can work with him. He can throw enough of those type of characters in front of the Ghostbusters, and he could get away and hit them when they're not expecting it. But he could also morph his entire body as well. He's not going to get hit by one of these beams. He's not going to be affected by one of these things because he can morph his body or disappear entirely. Lest we forget, he morphed into a giant snake that acted as the guardrail for a staircase 
and then came apart from that staircase and was able to wrap around, immobilize, and attack people as he needed to. Ghostbusters have no answer for that. They have an answer for something very slow, walking towards them, that is large in size. C point A, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. C point B, uh, the Statue of Liberty. C point C, honestly, Gozer herself, themself. It's whatever it wants to be. The point I'm trying to make right now is that he also morphed into a giant carnival ride. He became like the entirety of this room and then hit with the, the two like mallets and then flung two of the people through the roof. If he flings two Ghostbusters through the roof and out the house, one, their bodies are not going to survive that or at least not for more than or less than two minutes uh, be able to come back since being simply knocked to the floor is enough to keep them down for more than two minutes proven. He also can do that kind of whatever he wants to, and that's what he's going to do when the Ghostbusters won't stop talking to him. All they want to do is talk, and he's happy to talk them in circles and shoot them through the roof where they will not be involved in the battle anymore. Lest we forget, he can also teleport people away. He teleported Gina Davis's character all the way to, like, the realm of the sandworms. And I'll tell you what, a ghost can probably come back from that within two minutes. I don't think a human being is going to find his way, though quite honestly. And you talk about sandworms as if maybe that might somehow the Ghostbusters find a sandworm. It really, you'd have to really bend over backwards to make this win for James happen this way. But sandworms aren't going to affect Beetlejuice anymore. He's learned from that. He's been defeated by it once before, and he's not going to get tricked by that again. He's going to see this battle through to the end because his literal life is going to be at stake. He's not going to want to be trapped in one of those machines that the EPA fully deservedly should shut down. He is a character who needs to incapacitate his foes and remove them from the house. And I think he has every skill in the book necessary to do so. And the Ghostbusters, at least on a first encounter with no prior knowledge walking in, would absolutely be susceptible to his tricks. And that's my point number three. Look, I, I hate what I'm about to do because I love the character of Beetlejuice. I really, really do. And by the way, I want to see this as a live action crossover. Yet again, the Who Would Win show puts a battle together that everyone would love to see on the big screen. I mean, who wouldn't? Now, to provide some pushback, look, in Ghostbusters Afterlife, the three remaining Ghostbusters that are still alive, uh, Winston, Ray Stance, and um, Peter Venkman, are helping to take down, you know, an evil, you know, Ghost of the Gozerian. And who shows up from out of nowhere? It was the recently deceased, or maybe not so recently deceased, uh, Egon who shows up as a ghost to help the Ghostbusters. And what do you have? A fully functioning proton pack as a ghost. I'm pretty sure, you know, when you have that come in, that's going to be something that uh, is going to get, help them get the win. It's not like, uh, you know, they only need three of them because even if they do have three of them, Egon comes back as a ghost with a proton pack Wait, to help them. Are you arguing right now that there's only three Ghostbusters in this battle and Egon Spengler is dead? I'm saying that even if what I'm saying is even if Beetlejuice somehow out of character kills one of the Ghostbusters, they're coming back as a ghost with a fully functioning. Not within pack. two minutes. They're not. What are you talking about? Egon was well dead by the point he came back in that movie. And I've seen the rules of the dead in Beetlejuice. They have to wait in line. Uh, here's the deal. In this movie, when the moment they started fighting Tron the Proton Packs, who all of a sudden appeared right beside them when they started fighting? Oh, that's right. Egon did. Oh, and he died, so, yeah, right, and he died, he died right before that scene happened. He appeared no. right as this scene happened. Yeah, great. Who's, yeah. Whose rebuttal is this race to Canis? Look it's at me mine. playing a race to Canis. I'm rebutting now, your nonsense. You've been getting away with this crap 
for four straight episodes. And I, you know, the people keep writing me, James, and they say, you're not standing up for yourself enough. So maybe it's time that I tell you where to put it. On top of that, I can also do a quick change of clothing just the way Beetlejuice does. It doesn't mean I can alter reality or does it? You never know. I did get four wins in a row. Uh, on top of all of this, you know, I remember one scene in the Beetlejuice movie where he sent one of the you know new ghosts down into that to- toy town. So what did he do? He jumped into a toy truck, drove it off the thing, jumped out of whatever, and then the toy truck rammed itself into Beetlejuice's foot and kind of like you know set itself aflame a little bit, and that caused a lot of pain to Beetlejuice. All I'm trying to say is, if a toy truck that can you know kind of burst into flame hurts him that much, and he didn't see that coming, I'm pretty sure the Ghostbusters can get some attacks in on Beetlejuice. But let me get to my point number three with all of this. And for my point number three, I want to talk about Beetlejuice's weaknesses, the Ghostbusters' big wins, and how this fight, I think, is going to go down. Now, first of all, in terms of weaknesses, Beetlejuice, he's easily distracted. When he's trying to marry the underage Lydia, again, kind of a creepy scene, he allows himself to get distracted how many times? A lot of times. Instead of just taking matters in his own hands and sending away the two spirits trying to stop him from marrying Lydia in the first place. Look, if he was that much of a killer, if he was that much of a, hey, I'm taking care of business right now, he would just send them right away, both of them right away, immediately to some far off place in a way where they couldn't come back to to get him. And they both managed to do so. On top of that, his transformations are also very, very obvious because when he transforms into like that merry, you know, that that cool carnival ride, whatever, he's still got the black pinstripes, his face still there. Hey, pretty sure that's still Beetlejuice because his face is on the thing. Just putting that out there. Uh, also, Beetlejuice is, you know, he's got the extensive reality warping ability, sure, but it's often something that he's not taking too seriously, you know, as he's doing it. Uh, you know, again, it's something where if he was that true killer, if he was someone who wanted to take someone out. He has so many opportunities to do it, and yet he doesn't, because I don't quite think that's his thing. I think he likes to play with people, and that's what bites him at the end. Uh, And again, with enough physical damage, he can be destroyed at least for a while. We saw that with the sandworm. It came down, ate him, or destroyed him, whatever it was. And then we see him later. He appears in that waiting room near, you know, or at least adjacent to Saturn, that kind of limbo kind of place. And he's waiting there with a, you know, number that he had to take before he could see whoever it was to reinstitute him, whoever it was. All right. Now, on top of this, let's talk about Barbara Maitland played by Gina Davis, okay? Now, she defeated Beetlejuice with that sandworm. This is important because she was banished to the desert, that desert, desert otherworld realm. You know, again, it's called Saturn, and they've got the carnivorous giant sandworms, and Beetlejuice banished her there. But somehow, somehow, she was able to not only get one under her control, a sandworm that is, but to ride it like a horse in such a way that she broke through the supernatural barrier, whichever it was, and caused it to come crashing straight down on and then eating Beetlejuice, thereby defeating him again. Barbara Maitland had zero experience with sandworms, and yet she somehow somehow rode one, broke through into another realm, and then got it to attack and eat Beetlejuice. And then we see him, you know, again, that whole thing. I'm just saying, if Barbara Maitland can defeat Beetlejuice in that way, the Ghostbusters surely have something either similar, can do something similar, or at least can be. She read the Dune books. That's probably what happened, right? (laughs) I mean, who wouldn't want to ride a sandworm? That just sounds like so much fun. Now, the Ghostbusters being some very powerful opponents. There's there's that kaiju-sized Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. That was awesome. They fought the terror dogs. These actually scared the heck out of me as a kid when I saw it. And these terror dogs, these large, huge, I guess, canine-like beasts, lizard, I don't know what you want to call them, insane strength, could teleport, face through walls, possess people. And when they were both together, could open a portal to summon Gozer the Gozerian. Great storytelling, by the way. Speaking of Gozer the Gozerian, the demigod, they also beat them, her, whatever they chose to be. Gozer, by the way, can manipulate reality, read minds, bring large uh, kaiju-sized monsters to life with that Stay Puft Marshmallow. We just, you know, that was done with a thought. And she has the power of destruction where she can unleash cataclysms and can travel between dimensions. 
and the Ghostbusters beat her by crossing the streams of the proton packs that create an explosion so strong that it sent it back to her, sent her back to her whatever dimension she came from. Look, all I'm saying is if they can do that to Ghost of the Glazarian, I'm pretty sure crossing the streams of the proton packs are going to hurt, possibly do something even worse to Beetlejuice. Uh, and Ghostbusters too, they fought, beat, and captured the Scolari brothers. These are two flying destructive spirits of uh, executed mobsters who had the power of superhuman strength flight. They could face through objects. They had a lot of kind of Beetlejuice-esque characteristics, and they took care of them no problem. Of course, we got Beagle the Carpathian. We talked about that. You know, he was able to use telekinesis, change matter, you know, powered by negative thoughts, you know, negative emotions. He got even more powerful. They figured out how to overcome that. See, that's the thing about the Ghostbusters. They can figure out what to do. They can improvise. And in worst comes to worst, Ray, as you said, if there's only three of them because something happens, well, when the three started fighting goes to the Gozerian, that's when Egon, the ghost of Egon, comes back with a fully functioning proton pack. That is really cool. Look, the way this fight's going to go down could go down so many different ways. I'm not even going to try to predict it. But what I will say is that Venkman's probably going to figure out how to kind of pretend to be friendly with Beetlejuice. And then as that's happening, Egon and Ray are trying to figure out what's happening. A fight breaks out. Sandworms this, what have you. The end result is that Ghostbusters have faced insanely dangerous reality-warping beings, ghosts, just like Beetlejuice, except these beings wanted to kill the Ghostbusters. Beetlejuice wants to play. That's the downfall of Beetlejuice. They will either use their proton packs to take him out the same way they did with more powerful beings, or they'll figure out how to bring sandworms into it and say, hey, we can save you from that. Just jump into our little ghost thing uh, holder that we can, or ghost trap, and you're absolutely fine. They have so many ways to defeat them because they defeated so many more powerful beings so many other ways. Again, I want to see this as a live action, mega blockbuster spectacular sometime soon. All of that is my point number three. Can I be in it? (laughs) Yes, you'd have to. You'd have to. That is one of the most absurd third points I think you've ever come up with in the history of the show. It defies reality, expectation, and sensibility. In every possible way, yes, Gina Davis went to Saturn. Where I, it, It's a little bit of a weird plot point that she suddenly befriended a sandworm, wrote it back to the dimension, but she was able to do that because she was a ghost. A human being sent to that plane would not have the same type of fortune against sandworms especially, but much less knowing how to ride them between spectral dimensions. There's 0% chance that has any weight at all in this battle, and it's about comedy, isn't it? Ghostbusters is about comedy. Beetlejuice is about comedy. That's why Ghostbusters don't just uh, strike first. They don't just pull out their packs and start shooting. Even when they shot Vigo, he was able to reality warp them, you know, energy blast them backwards, even though two of them got the shot on him and were allegedly restraining him. I just don't see that at all. The thing is, he could shrink them and put them inside the toy house where they would have two minutes to just languish And there's really very little that they could do with such a miniaturized size. He's shown that he's been able to do that with others. Why not the Ghostbusters as well? And that's the thing. The Ghostbusters, again, they don't shoot first. They just don't. They are able to be manipulated in that way. And this whole Egon coming back as a ghost, apparently he's going to be freshly killed by Beetlejuice, who you just said doesn't kill. And then he's immediately somehow in this world going to come back and surprise him with a proton pack. That is ludicrous. That doesn't even fit the reality that you described in your point itself. Again, very weak third point. Very disappointed in you, James. The point I'm trying to make is that Beetlejuice does not have to kill these people. Beetlejuice only has to restrain them. And he has shown in his own movies the ability to restrain people for two minutes using his environment, 
using his reality warping, he could just create sinkholes underneath them and they would fall through the floor. And then all he'd have to do is sit around reading a newspaper for two minutes and he wins the battle. And the Ghostbusters have shown the ability to be restrained time and time again, especially for two minutes or more. Again, shoved to the ground, two minutes they were down. If they tried to cross the streams, they only do that if they think that like reality and life itself is on the table. Against a paranormal routine experience, like they would walk in thinking Beetlejuice was, given their lack of prior knowledge, for a who would win battle, they would not go to those extremes in this battle whatsoever. Beetlejuice would restrain them, boot them from the house. They would come back later and win. I have no doubt in my mind, but in an actual first random encounter, Beetlejuice has their number. Powerful points from Ray and myself. All right, listen, we got to do this, Jordan. You've heard three points from both Ray and myself. It's time for you to make a decision. Take us through your process. Tell a story, if you will, and reveal who you think wins this battle between the Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice. Oh, man, don't make me choose. Oh, man, this is really tough. First of all, I, I want to point out that it's interesting that you're only using the original film versions of these characters because, Ray, if you would use the cartoon be- uh, version of Beetlejuice from the early 90s, and James, if you would use the real Ghostbusters, they have so many more, Ghostbusters have so many more powers and inventions and things that they use to capture spirits. No, wait a not minute, to mention, Are those the ones with the gorilla? No, no, they were stolen. <laughs> that's that's the uh, filmation version of the Ghostbusters. Oh, that's not the same thing. Yes, that's why they had to call the show the real Ghostbusters. Yes. Oh, I, I'm sorry for interrupting. Please continue. And also in that series, I mean, they had to fight people that had magical reality warping powers, like the Boogeyman and uh, Sam Hine and and even Cthulhu, if you include the Ghostbusters uh, video game. And then Ray, like uh, like the Beetlejuice cartoon, like he, there's this one where these guys have shotguns and they turn them into, uh, Beetlejuice turns them into snakes. But you didn't use those versions. We're going with the original film versions. So this is what this is what I think is going to happen. They're going to go in there and Beetlejuice like, look at you guys. Uh, I'm really scared of you guys. And just in the beginning, like you pointed out, the Ghostbusters are going to be incapacitated early on. Uh, Beetlejuice, all he has to do is snap his fingers and their their packs, their proton guns are going to wrap around them like snakes, just like just like the cords that wrapped around Charles Dietz in the, at the wedding scene. And they're going to be on the ground. They're going to be incapacitated. And that's when Peter Venkman, who has, again, degrees in psychology and parapsychology, he's going to start chatting up Beetlejuice. Like you said, Ray, you said the Ghostbusters love to talk, and I think they're going to engage the ghosts with the most, and that is going to distract Beetlejuice enough for one of the guys to kick a trap forward with one good foot, and it's going to go up to the feet of Beetlejuice, and they're going to open the trap, and they've trapped him. Without having to say his name three times, James, you got the win, the Ghostbusters unbelievable that is five wins in a row unprecedented never having been done before i have so many people i'd like to thank uh it's you know i wasn't prepared for this kind of uh speech i'd like to thank my mom who uh told me that i would never amount to anything she never said that actually she said do this podcast will be the greatest thing ever it has i'd like to thank race to canis because you can't have a great victory if you don't have great opponents and most importantly i'd like to thank our esteemed judge jordan monsell jordan you know you were the perfect judge for this episode. You had so much knowledge on both, you know, uh, character sets of characters. This, again, we made this joke. It's like you had to pick who was your favorite kid. And I'm picturing the Ghostbusters looking at you with puppy eyes. 
and puppy dog eyes. And Beetlejuice is like smiling, showing like horrific teeth and going like, hey, you know, you want me. That's my horrible impression. And you had to do the impossible, yet you did. And you gave me five wins in a row. Jordan Montel, you are a national treasure. Race to Canis. You got another loss. How are you feeling right now knowing that uh, I just got five wins in a row? I wish a single one of these five wins in a row was earned or deserved. But nobody listening to any one of these episodes ever seems to come to that conclusion with the one solitary example of the judge who's on the show. How many emails do we get? How much tweets? Not that I read them anymore. How many Facebook messages? Just go, what are these judges thinking? Beetlejuice has green hair. Green hair. That's enough right there to defeat the Ghostbusters. Maybe I should have leaned on green hair a little bit more in the episode. It's more platinum blonde, actually. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, the moss is green by the, uh, the temples. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I'm looking at the picture behind me, and you're probably right. Listen, when it comes to knowledge of the Ghostbusters, when it comes to knowledge of Beetlejuice, I consider myself fairly knowledgeable. Maybe the biggest problem here came with the fact that we brought in a judge who is a thousand times more knowledgeable than either of us could ever dream of being. In fact, I'd like to re-record this episode with Jordan Monsell arguing both sides because there is no doubt in my mind it would be a much better episode than anything me or James could possibly put on the table. I like experts, and Jordan is clearly one of them. Do I agree with his decision tonight? Absolutely not. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know where Beetlejuice... Beetlejuice is the one who engages. Beetlejuice is not the one who gets distracted. So I don't exactly agree if you're going to ask me at the end of the day. I'm happy at least about nothing. I'm happy about nothing right now. And my voice is nearly gone because I'm shouting. You know, it's interesting, Jordan Montella. Like, if you remember the uh, real Ghostbusters, Slimer became a part of the team. And yeah. what I'm picturing with this episode is that eventually there's going to be some calamity you know, uh, somehow a lot of ghosts, including Beetlejuice, escape the containment unit back at their headquarters. But then Beetlejuice kind of helps them in his own comedic way. And now Beetlejuice sure. becomes the unofficial fifth Ghostbuster. Because if you look well, at his pinstripe yeah, costume, it's good. not that far from a Ghostbuster. That's all I'm saying. Well, this yeah, if you if you had gone with if if you had used the the real Ghostbusters canon, you know, for for this for this battle, you know, Slimer sometimes goes along and tries to help, and then of course Beetlejuice would be like, "Hey, I got something for you. Hey, you want you hungry? You want the nice? You know, he would probably <laughs> distract distract Slimer with his agnet there, but but yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you just have to look at the fact that the Ghostbusters that they filled they have filled a containment unit with ghosts, so they have all that prior knowledge, experience fighting ghosts of all different shapes and sizes. So I think whatever Beetlejuice throws their way, I think they've seen it before. Couldn't agree more. You know, Ray made a statement where he said that you have more combined knowledge than both he and I. He was trying to say about Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice, but I actually think that statement still stands correct. I think you do have way more knowledge than both Ray and I have combined because he's got some. I have a lot, by the way, and I still bow down to your you know, intellectual superiority. With that being said... Please come back on the show. Do what you do. Bring your magic, your je ne sais quoi. Actually, I do know what it is. It's just your Beetlejuice insanity and, and just bring your magic back once more. Until that time, please tell the Legion of Audience, our fan base, where they can find you online and where they can find your Etsy store and all that kind of good stuff. Well, sure, you just say it once. Say it twice. Third down the charm. So I'm on Cameo if you want to hire me to do a Beetlejuice greeting. Cameo is Beetlejuice. 
Instagram at jmonsell. And then if you want to pick up a copy of my Shakespearean Ghostbusters book, which is called Ministers of Grace, that's on Amazon under my name. I love it. Okay, race to Cadus. This was, again, a very well-debated battle. If I won, it was only, you know, I won by inches, not an easy victory whatsoever. Although, uh, just remind you, this is five wins in a row. Never, ever has this been done before on the Who Would Win show. In the meantime, until our next episode, tell the Legion of Audience, our fan base, where they can find you online. You know, in the year 2022, the Minnesota Vikings football team won 11, went 11-0 in one-score games, had a very good record, lost in the playoffs. In this upcoming year, as we record this episode, the Minnesota Vikings have played in four one-score games and have lost every single one of them. It doesn't matter how many inches you lose by, a loss is a loss, and the entire idea, concept of losing five in a row, especially during prime time of the Who Would Win show in September and October is quite frankly disgusting to me. I want to take a moment here, though, to talk about this wonderful book, In the Dark Corners by Jordan Monsell, a book I bought. It says at the front here, 4J. And, and I appreciate you trying to give me credit for this book, Jordan, and trying to dedicate <laughs> yeah. for me. Unfortunately, yeah. there was I spelled, a typo. I, spe I spelled your name wrong. There right. was a typo in the book, and unfortunately, <laughs> it didn't get noticed until printing. And it was intended for me, and uh, it was not for me. And that's sort of how I feel about this episode today. Aww, this battle was for me. I had a perfect judge, a perfect setup, a better character, and considerably more avenues to victory that I very eloquently discussed, but there must have been a printing mistake because my name was not the one called at the end of the episode, but that's fine. I just went on Jordan Monsell's Etsy store and I purchased the name a drink poster because I am a fan of his work. Jordan Monsell drew for me the Oppenheimer Skeletor poster at the end of the last one and is undeniably furious and as undeniably <laughs> enraged as I am over this decision, and Jordan, you know I am enraged over this decision, this does not stop me from thinking <laughs> you were one of my favorite human beings on the planet. Oh, thank you. And still wanting to purchase art from you and hopefully make your day slightly better in that regard. Well, Ray, it, sound, it sounds like you could have repped Ghostbusters because, as you said, you love that movie, too. I do. I so love which that one, movie which a lot. one were you afraid to see until you were an adult? Uh, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice terrified me. I actually had uh, in the Detroit Free Press, there was a full page Beetlejuice ad in the newspaper. Yep. But I was so scared of the movie. Yep. Uh, Freud explained this. I kept the newspaper with the ad for Beetlejuice folded up and slid between my bed and the wall yep. so I could have control over it because I was scared of it, didn't ever want to look at it, was terrified knowing it was there but I needed it near me so I could control it. Listen, Ray and horror movies had a very confused upbringing and I'd love someone to delve into this because hey. I was terrified of the movie until I saw it in my 20s yeah. and I was like, oh, it's a comedy. Yeah, well, I'll tell you a quick story. In 1988, when the movie came out, I was in third grade and I just remember talking to some upperclassmen, you know, fifth or sixth graders and they were saying, oh, it's so scary. So I said, well, I don't want to see it. Because at that age, I wasn't really watching a lot of horror films, if any. And then when I finally saw it on, you know, rented it, probably I didn't see it in the theater. The only part that really scared me, let me ask you if it scared you, is when um, Barbara rips her face off when they're trying to scare the Dietzes. When Horrified. they open up the closet. Yeah, that part, that part got me. Just no. like G Ghostbusters, I was afraid to see that at first. And because of the librarian scene and the terror dogs and... 
that still holds up to this day. Those are great practical but effects. The scene where Alec Baldwin puts his hand in his face and then pulls his eyeballs out on his fingers. I think <laughs> I saw that in the commercials for it. Yeah. And that that one got me. Yeah. That one got me. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just laughing. Like, really? That's what okay. Sorry. I'm not trying to minimize I'm Terrifying. not trying to minimize the the traumatic experiences. Mine was Texas Chainsaw Massacre at a sleepover. Someone popped that into the VHS and was like, hey, want to see something cool? Oh my God. And it wasn't cool. How old were you? 28. The point is this. The point <laughs> is this. No, I was like, uh, I think I was I had to have been like, I think, eight. It scared the hell out. Yeah. yeah. When I was when I was eight, my uncle made me watch Night of the Living Dead, the original. And oh then, boy. And to this day, zombies oh freak me out more than any other type of monster. Oh you know, I think Beetlejuice got me extra because it was whimsically scary. And yeah. somehow whimsically scary over knife in a dark alley scary was somehow like for not even a teenager ray was very over the edge. Yep. Very true. But Ghostbusters, no problem. Except for that taxi cab driver with the melted face. That one, that one still you? makes me unpleasant. Yeah, he still like a skeleton face. No, for me, it was, it was uh, when Dana gets taken into the kitchen by the terror oh, yeah. dogs and, and the librarian in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, librarian really did it, really did it. All right, listen, we got to close up this episode. You can find Ray. Did you tell the audience where they can find you? Threads, Almighty Ray 316. I will say it again. Twitter is dead. Let those people have it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, listen, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gabs. You remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and to be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Stacanus, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. What's up, everyone? Brian here, host of the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast. It's a trivia-style podcast focusing on TV and movies. Listen in for questions like, what's the name of Michael Scott's screenplay? What do you say to view the Marauder's map? What are Tony Stark's last words to Thanos in Avengers Endgame? And where does Ron Burgundy say he is when he calls the news station sobbing from a phone booth? I've covered The Office, Harry Potter, Marvel, Will Ferrell movies, Lord of the Rings, and more, with even more on the way. So play along to the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast anywhere you get podcasts, and stay tuned for more trivia! Hey gang, I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Okay, got to prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.